0: on local now channel 525
1: yes it is and welcome back uh wednesday april 21st as we head into our second hour we do so each wednesday with uh one of our favorite public servants and that's congressman david Schweikert, representing arizona's sixth congressional district and common sense representative Schweikert, how are you sir
0: Oh, you know, on occasion, I'm not sure common sense is much of a commodity here in D.C. Well, if we can make more uh, people
1: appreciate it, we can make it common again. I keep hearing that again and again and again. Common sense is just no longer part of the mainstream. It is frustrating.
0: Well, well but, but, and my, to coin a phrase of my wife, um, I work in a math-free zone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we make public policy right now by feelings mm-hmm. because – the reality: the reporters treat you well, social media treats you well. You know, when you do something, think you know, you, you show you have the, these feelings for something, whether the, or not the actual policy hurts people. And we can. There's lots of occasions where the you know the path of good intention actually was devastatingly bad policy.
1: The House seems to want to take this up, majority of it being held by Democrats as it is, on a daily basis. I, you know, I, I, There's a lot going on that um, it would be wonderful to get uh, House members to take seriously. What they took seriously today was a ban on the president issuing um, uh, travel bans. Uh, so that they could take one more dig at Donald Trump here, it looks yeah. like. The National well, Origin-Based Anti-Discrimination for Non-Immigrants Act. Boy, did we need that.
0: Yeah, but, but look, much of what is being voted on in the House is purely designed so the Democrats can raise money mm-hmm. on their radicalized base. Okay. And a lot of their wealthy, hard-left donors... These are the things that get them excited, and they hit the little "Send money" button. Um, much of what was in their legis- spending legislation, and now it's in the infrastructure legislation, is payoffs to those who are going to write them checks for their next campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only thing that I found really interesting so far this week is yesterday we had a vote to censure Maxine Waters, right And the discipline on the left. Um, a number of the Democrats who are in districts that they probably shouldn't be in, you know, they, they actually have, they voted for Trump, they have Republican-leaning districts, and they marched on the floor and voted against censuring Maxine Waters for what she did. And the only answer I can give you is um, when Nancy Pelosi threatens to cut off your campaign money, they all march in line. Yeah
1: yeah that was that was interesting. I thought there might be one or two Democrats that uh, like to give fancy speeches now and again a Deborah Dingle type or someone like that to look the moderate but boy no, not a one of them not a one of them would uh would denounce or renounce what Max Yeah, Waters it, well
0: did. it's it's the symbol of you know we live in a society right now rewards noise mm-hmm. But when it comes down to actual accomplishments or or how you vote, Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't seem to get paid attention to. It's Mm -hmm. it's how many times you appear on cable television or something of that Mm -hmm. nature, and people think that's actual work Mm -hmm. instead of theater.
1: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a it's a good point, and it makes me worry really about the direction of the of the of the of the caucus um, uh, that serves in the majority of the House of Representatives, David, because it shows me that they are in the vice grip of the left. Uh, yeah. You know, Nancy Pelosi had a choice to support the primary opponents of people like Rashida Talib and Ilan Omar, and she chose not to. She chose to endorse no, you, and support they, but them. they can't. Right.
0: Um, but, but, you know, look, you've been through this and a lot of folks don't understand. Um, there's a lot of folks who are passionate about politics, but there's a shockingly few that sort of step up and actually do something. They write checks, they show up and help. What would happen if you ran as a Democrat, here, even here in Arizona, and who's going to show up as you as a Democrat? It's hard, radicalized left. Because they're almost the, they're the workers in the party, mm-hmm. the ones who now write the checks mm-hmm. are one of two things: they're ideologically fringe, or they want something. They they want to pay off. They want you know more union control. They want more trial lawyer money. They want it, it's an investment mm-hmm. in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, the unique thing I think with a lot of Republicans, political contributors. The number I get who say, David, we're going to give you some money for your campaign. The number one thing I want is to be left alone. Mm -hmm. Let me live my life. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different position philosophically.
1: Do you get uh, cynical, David, when you are invited to speak (laughs) to schools about the process of Washington or the process of politics?
0: Um, I've done it a bunch of times, and the invitation's Pretty much stopped a couple years ago. Pre COVID. When, yeah. no, no, yeah, even pre COVID, but a lot of it was because you would walk in with all sorts of facts that were different than the teacher had been giving oh, the kids. I okay.
1: um,
0: like, I, ha- I have a high degree of expertise on um, you know, healthcare disruptions, but also environmental disruptions. Right. right. The fact of the matter is much of what we fret about in the environment. There are technology breakthroughs happening all around us that are making, that making the air cleaner and still allowing economic growth and these things. and that's completely different than the sort of Malthusian environmental left want kids to know.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they stopped inviting you because you were giving them too much good news, huh
0: Well, though I've had also uh, I had a really fun experience a um, year and a half a couple years ago. At Arizona State University. I show up in the room. Um, The room is probably three quarters faculty. And the first question I get after giving my presentation, which was a blockchain technology presentation, hand goes up saying, Well, what do you think about free college for everyone? And the answer is very simple saying, Okay, but do understand if government, if we in Congress are the ones writing the checks, we expect to run your lives. That's fair. You know, who shows up with the cash? Run So we get to decide how many classes you teach, how much staff you have, what tenure is. And by the time I walked through that Congress would run their lives, they all thought it was a horrible idea. Not funny. When they, but this is a classic case of as Republicans. We not to only need to say, that's a stupid idea. We need to explain why. Yeah,
1: well, you have to hold your hand. A stupid idea. That's right. You have to hold the hand through an entire conversation that they have never been exposed to, ever. That's you exactly. know part of the frustration here, isn't it? That's
0: a small thing we call thinking.
1: <laughs> the small thing we call thinking. Well, uh, tell me, um, tell me about a couple other things that uh, that are worrisome to you about your majority caucus. I'll tell you one: um, their efforts, their boldness of their efforts. I, I mentioned this silly piece of legislation they passed, but they're trying to make DC a state again, and that's you know they're showing they're just earnest about this. They have no qualms and no reservations about going going for the gusto, just trying to add two more seats to their to well, to uh, their party in the Senate.
0: Okay, but I I want you to back up, because this goes back to a previous conversation you and I had. Okay, Think of the H.R. 1, which also had Puerto Rico um, and D.C. in there, turning them into states so they could gain more seats. The left is absolutely audacious. If Republicans were in majority, would we step up and say, we're going to do things that are so over the top, but if we get them passed, we gain absolute power, we wipe out any semblance of... Sort of fairness. We're gonna find out. It, it's you got to give them credit. They they are willing to go places that fair-minded people would be appalled by. And then we have a national media that doesn't explain how extreme and audacious no. um, some of these Democrat pieces of legislation are.
1: It's a it's a good point. I was I was looking at the D.C. statehood legislation right up online. The first story that came up was a CBS News uh, story on it, and it gave about six reasons why it's a good idea. No reasons as to why people would possibly vote against it. It's really quite amazing what you have to struggle with, David. Oh, yeah.
0: And, and did anyone hit the very first reason? It's unconstitutional. Well, that's always
1: been mine. No one talks about that. I. It's,
0: it's just, go yeah. to Article 1. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on. It's unconstitutional. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Um I... And you know, it, it, it's But, you know, Constitution is an afterthought. We no, want.
1: that's right. That's right. <laughs> Not with you there, though, David, to and as much as you can. And we really appreciate you checking in with us uh, on a weekly basis. It's great you know, hearing I enjoy your voice. It. Thank you, David right. Schweiker. Take care. Say hi yeah. to family. You betcha. You too. God bless. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy, the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. One of the key differences between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies is that she actually has figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way. That's Solar Sandy. She's the right way. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and the first 50 families will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payment, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. No better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. I wanted to run through a few pieces of audio in reaction to um, the, uh, the, uh, the verdict in the Dirk Chauvin trial. But before I did that, um, one of the most adult pieces I've read was from Lance Morrow over in the Wall Street Journal. Lance is an old school journalist. And he did something interesting um, comparing or at least making an analogy between George Floyd and F. Scott Fitzgerald, both around the same age when they died, both from the same area, Minneapolis, St. Paul. He writes that both men had bad habits, addictions. Floyd was poor. Black Fitzgerald was white, privileged, and occasionally rich, or anyway, he consorted with rich people and dreamed about them. Both men were known to smash things up and then to retreat into their vast carelessness. In the 1920s, Fitzgerald would get drunk Gerald and Sarah Murphy's Villa America on the Riviera and break their expensive crystal. Floyd served four years in prison for a 2007 robbery and home invasion. It's obviously absurd to compare Floyd to Fitzgerald, and yet why not compare them? Each has a place in America's folklore, two sides of the nation's coin. In each you behold a complicated American life and a common denominator of tragedy and waste and relatively early death. And which of those two imperfect lives will prove to be more consequential? Which is more representative or says more about the imperfect country? I thought that was well put. Derek Chauvin's trial became a melodrama of American themes. Racial grievance, rage, rebellion, justice and injustice, revenge. It became American history and theater up there with Sacco and Vanzetti and the Scottsboro Boys and Alger Hiss and O.J. Simpson. That last one, a circus and a travesty and a showcase of the idea of jury nullification, the principle that appeals to what Dovey Roundtree called justice older than the law. During the Chauvin trial, a rumbling of the idea of jury nullification, a huge credible threat of mayhem if the jury didn't deliver what President Biden called the right verdict, passed through the streets of nearly every city in the country. Mob nullification proclaims that it doesn't matter what the law says, not when you come down to the fiercer basics The KKK also embraced the tactic. It is isn't a principle that a country can afford to indulge very often. But Minneapolis stirred a memory of Nat Turner's slave rebellion, too. Smartphone videos were decisive in the morality play here. Floyd had already established that he was claustrophobic. He was placed in a prone position on the pavement, pinned by the knees on his neck and back, which intensified the system, the symptom of a claustrophobe most fears when they yell, I can't breathe. That was the crux of it, the gratuitous cruelty. Maximize the suffering, test the helpless man's limits. I once wrote a book about evil and found that one of evil's signature qualities is its weirdly intelligent and speculative gratuitousness, as if it were saying, I wonder what will happen if I... The revelation of cruelty and sadism on the streets of Minneapolis seemed to connect to several centuries of history, thus acquiring some kind of moral power. What if Derek Chauvin had taken the stand? What if he had wept and begged forgiveness? Would that have been enough? Would it have persuaded the jury or the public? I saw a morality play of something like that unfolding in Alabama when I covered George Wallace's last campaign for governor in 1982. By then he had been in his wheelchair in great pain for more than a decade, While he campaigned for president of the United States, he was shot in Maryland, of course, and paralyzed. As I went among the Wallace supporters, I was amazed to find a lot of black people who, because Wallace had apologized for his earlier racial politics and because he had suffered and because they said he had done a lot for Alabama's blacks by way of community colleges and such, they were inclined to forgive him. I remember coming away from a sweet Labor Day picnic among the Wallace people in Nakaluela Falls, the crowd numbering as many blacks as whites with a feeling that there was hope in that sort of transcendence. But then again Wallace had suffered, had been through the fire. That is a sort of theological necessity. In the eyes of those who would be asked to forgive him, Derek Chauvin perhaps doesn't qualify. The country in twenty. Twenty 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 one 2021 is the worst case of the American jitters since the late 1960s, with mass shootings, riots, COVID, creeping civic hysteria. I sometimes think that the famous final words of the great Gatsby have their pertinent application in reference to race in America. And so we beat on, boats against the tide, borne back ceaselessly into the past. When, we wonder, in the 21st century, will the past ever end? And aren't we sick of it by now? Yes, I should think so. As Alan and as so many others of you have called, this racialized America simply didn't exist 20 years ago. Things are much more racially tense now. While the statistics one would want that aim towards racial healing, are all aiming in the right direction. Less and less people stating racial beliefs, more and more people open to racial integration, um, you name it. You name it. More and more people willing to elect people of color to high places in office, uh, uh, all across the board. Every indicator goes in the right direction. At the very same time, The rhetoric, the heated rhetoric, is at fever pitch. I want to tell you something that I thought was smart that was written up and spiked online, but also share you the words of Charles Payne from Fox Business. I thought thought he too had a good take. He and Candace Owens both. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show 602 508 0960. It's an odd thing when your political leaders give your enemies their talking points. Surprised the Biden administration was when Chinese representatives scolded Americans in Alaska. The American delegation of Anthony Blinken and the Secretary and the Department of State scolded America for thinking it has any moral high ground on the matters of racial justice. All they had to do was repeat the language of Kamala Harris from the campaign trail or anything you hear on the streets these days or from President Biden or from the U.N. ambassador. The Biden administration and Democrats all over the country, as Scott Johnson puts it, now promulgate the charge that systemic racism permeates our country and that this racism is woven into our founding documents. Do you know what a dangerous thing this is to tell the world and ourselves and our children? I want to return to this momentarily. First, a few other voices. Here's Charles Payne from Fox Business.
2: So the Derek Chauvin trial, I think that was about one man. The Derek Chauvin verdict was about a nation and its criminal justice system. Like the entire country, I was on pins and needles, uh, moments ahead of the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Now, I didn't watch any of the proceedings. Uh, I could not deal with the pain of those that felt helpless watching a fellow human being killed in broad daylight by someone who took an oath to serve and protect. I watched the verdict because while I feel that the case or felt like the case was clearly open and shut, you just never know what's going on in the mind of jurors. And I've watched uh, because a whole lot of these events in the past, these verdicts that I also thought were open and shut, Came in differently. Now, toggling the TV dial before and after to see the different coverage, I was struck by so many incorrect observations and comments. Uh, there were two opposite narratives that I think were completely wrong. One, that racism no longer exists, and on the other hand, that black Americans are living in a deep state of constant fear of the police. Racism is alive, but it's not, of course, Jim Crow or KKK sitting in the back of a bus or living a separate but unequal life. In fact, I celebrate how far this nation has come in such a very short period of time. Really, it is magnificent when you look at still unresolved challenges around the world that have lingered for thousands of years. I am amazed at changes that have already happened in my own lifetime, but yeah, far too often, skin color negatively tilts narratives and outcomes. There's still work to be done Uh, And and listen, uh, every time uh, there's any sort of racism that happens around me, I'm going to push back. But here's the thing. At the same token, uh, I will also call out false efforts to leverage the past to push ideologies that have nothing to do with historic suffering or current challenges. I got to tell you, yesterday I cringed when I saw Al Sharpton strutting to a private plane to fly into Minneapolis. So many people have made millions of dollars stoking the flames of anger. They never present a smart game plan to win greater equality, just vitriol that leads to burning cities while they shake down big corporations. And by the way, these corporations write checks, but they hire few black people and promote even less. Meanwhile, black Americans are not living in a state of siege from police, and we should avoid being manipulated into living into a state of perpetual victimhood. Yes, there is unfairness in many workplaces. A black family can be seated at a restaurant and be served long after a white family that came in later. A black man can go into a bank to deposit money and have the manager threaten to call the police when he voices displeasure about poor service or treatment. I mean, you could go on a job interview and not get the gig because your hairstyle is braided in a certain way or even braided at all. Now, these things are real, but they cannot change. They can, rather, change, rather, because the more egregious, painful actions that have been relegated to the dustbin in the the history are just night and day from these things. You know, I disagree with Vice President Harris when she said that yesterday's verdict won't heal generations of pain. I think it was a monumental verdict that allows more people to trust the legal system. And if allowing it to, to, to work... That would help the healing process if people would allow it to work. But sadly, Vice President Harris and so many others just won't allow our pain to heal. I mean, I don't think they can afford to allow it to heal. You know, there's an ideological agenda that must be fulfilled. Now, the items on this agenda are tough sells on their own merit. But behind the veneer of social justice, well, they become easier. Let me just say, as a black man, there's no other country I would rather live than America. I was blessed to be born here, and it is my great hope and belief that we will all keep getting better. And it's not an unfounded hope. It's written in the words that are the foundation of this nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
1: Boy, that's beautiful. Beautiful from Charles Payne. You know what it reminds me of a little bit, Bill? It reminds me a little bit of that uh, Gene Simmons thing. Do you have Gene Simmons? It wouldn't be bad for us to feel a little better about ourselves. Let's do that when we come back. We'll be right back. You know, one of the... um, one of the great moral crimes of what the left and the Democratic Party are doing right now is doing right now, is making us feel badly about our country, making us feel bad as Americans. What's the name of that song? Lick it up. I almost wanted lift it up, but you know that's 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 the tragedy behind the governing philosophy, the organizing philosophy of today's Democratic Party. It is the lacrimose view, the tragic view of America. And they make us all feel badly about ourselves when we have no reason to. Not only are we the best, the most freest, we are also the least racist country in the history of the world. And yet we are lectured at and told that that's just not so when it is. And that we should feel bad and beat our breasts collectively and attribute guilt and innocence based on color. We're taught this all the time. And, and and there's no part of patriotism anymore than there's a part of nationalism that suggests it to be a good idea to continually run down your country, especially when it is facing international competition and threat. But also if you intend... For your country to survive, every great philosopher who's written on this says the same thing: A country that loses confidence in itself is a country that loses itself. They all say it, all of them. From Plato to Jean-François Bavel, they all say it. And I think it's our job to make us feel good about ourselves, proud to be an American, God knows. They make us unproud. They make us embarrassed, want us to be embarrassed to be an American. And so sometimes we just are fortunate enough to find immigrants who come to this country and remind us of who we are and what we mean to them because they didn't take us for granted the way too many born here can end up doing And I saw this, I remember seeing this about two years ago when it came out. It was Gene Simmons. I don't remember the moment. Maybe it was three years ago. It was a moment we weren't feeling good about ourselves. And Gene Simmons, the um, front man for KISS, the band KISS, was addressing the Pentagon. And what Charles Payne just said in the previous segment just reminded me of this. And I thought, well, is it relevant? Yeah, in the sense that we need to feel better about ourselves and understand what it is that people like Gene Simmons
3: understand about us. Let it rip. I was born in Israel. I know I don't look Swiss. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm a a proud son of a concentration camp survivor of Nazi Germany. My mother was 14 when she was in the camps. Uh, We're measuring my words because I'm about to Break up again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and again, my mother just passed at ninety three, but almost there, ten seconds control. If Americans could see and hear my mother. <clears throat> almost there, talk about America, they would understand. And uh, I'll just cut to the chase. When when we first came to America, my mother let me stay up and watch TV with her, and I couldn't speak English very well. And my mother could barely get by. She worked six days a week, and at night, we would watch the news and whatever. And by 12 o'clock, the three or four TV stations would go off the air and you would hear this kind of just noise and people presumably would go to sleep. Before then, we saw a jet flying through the sky, on TV, a jet flying through the sky and a man in a very deep voice was saying something I couldn't understand it and the jet then turned skyward and flew seemingly into the heavens through the clouds and I remember what the man said and saw the face of God. And then it it melted into the a black and white, because in those days we didn't have color TV. The flag was full screen billowing. And I heard da, 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 you know the the national anthem and I didn't know what it was or what was going on and it was almost time to go to sleep. It was late. And every time uh, every time my mother saw the flag, she'd start crying. As an eight-year-old boy, I didn't understand why. But from my mother's point of view, we were finally safe. I may, uh, uh, I may have been born in the country, everybody. Give me two seconds. I may have been born in the country that people throughout history have referred to as the promised land, but take my word for it, America is the promised land for everybody. And don't be ashamed. Don't hesitate. We need to teach young people to be comfortable with saying, God bless America. End of my story.
1: We could all use a little more Gene Simmons, couldn't we, right now? I mean, how, how, how do you not cry with him as he's crying through that? Meanwhile, we're told... Who live in a place to be ashamed of. He was quoting, obviously, from uh, that great line, Touching the Face of God by John uh, Gillespie McGee, that Peggy Noonan and Ronald Reagan made famous again. After the Challenger disaster, they slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. That's what he was referring, that John McGee poem. I remember those days. Bill, do you remember those days when TVs went to squirrely ska- uh, national anthem and then squirliness squeak? Do you remember those days? Yes? No? You don't remember those days. I remember them. And there were three or four channels. And then the channels would just go off. Off. They'd just go off. Um, So thank you for that. So you wondered why we needed a 1776 project. This is it. This is why. Um, We fought a great civil war that debated the very teaching that the left is trying to foist on us now. We debated it, we fought it, and we thought we won it, but we didn't. I'll tell you more about that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Put in a word for my good friends at Trades Unlimited, the great company, great company for all your roofing needs. Right now they want me to tell you about their focus on foam roofing and how it helps insulate from our extreme Arizona heat and also helps insulate from exterior noises and most importantly foam roofing protects your house from water leaks. I've had the privilege to go down to the offices and warehouse of Trades of Unlimited, met the whole team. They are great people hugely impressive the quality of the people they hire and the job they do they're in their 26th year of business here in arizona and they have a triple a rating with the better business bureau after meeting the people at trades unlimited i can tell you i know why most of their business is by referral or previous customers and that always tells me a lot about the company people are happy and come back and tell others about their great experience and that's why we love helping push that word of mouth here Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. Hot summer sun, perfect time for those foam recoats as well. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. President uh, Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, as I'm reading it, one person writing over it spiked, puts it could have used the opportunity of the Chauvin trial's verdict to stress the positives and racial unity that emerged amid the death of Floyd. After all, last summer, all Americans of all races were unanimously appalled by what Chauvin did. Ninety percent of Americans believed Chauvin used excessive force based on the polling and two thirds said it amounted to murder. And now today the trial and verdict have shown that the justice system is not corrupted by racism. As a people, Americans rejected Chauvin and wanted to see him brought to justice. Yet in his remarks last night, following the verdict, Joe Biden struck the most negative of tones, emphasizing the view Among Democrats and BLM folks, that Floyd's death shows that the U.S. is still thoroughly racist. He said Floyd's murder ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see the systemic racism that is a stain on our nation's soul. The conviction of Chauvin, while fair and just, did not prove what Biden, Harris and others say, that the police and U.S. society more generally are deeply racist. Yes, black people in America are racially racially disadvantaged, but what happened to Floyd was not typical. It was not something that blacks experience every single day. And those exaggerations and lies by politicians have proven to be deadly. We'll talk more about that when we come back. But first, Stanley Kurtz has a great piece up on National Review. If you think critical race theory is bad on the streets look at what the administration's going to be doing by putting it into every public school if they can we'll talk about that when we come back